Welcome to the Indie Pub, a laid-back interview show dedicated to the world of self and indie publishing. I'm your host, Jay Rushing, author of the self-published fantasy noir novel Radio, and a beverage buff with a passion for deep dives and good times. Every two weeks, a guest will step into the pub with a publishing-related topic and a favorite drink for us to explore and enjoy. Whether you want to sharpen your craft, snag a new cocktail recipe, or just have a laugh, there's always a seat and a full glass waiting for you at the Indie Pub. Welcome to the Indie Pub. Today's guest is Ben Galley, author of Heart of Stone, the Chasing Graves trilogy, the Scarlet Star trilogy, the Emanesca series, and the Scalison Chronicles, including its latest release, Heavy Lies the Crown. He's here with us to talk all things world building. But before we dive in, tell us a bit about what we're drinking here in the pub today. Hey, Jim. Yeah, I am drinking an old fashioned today. <laughs> One of my favorite drinks. A classic, and yeah, it goes down far too quickly for my liking, but that's how I get into trouble. Absolutely. All right, well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Right. So, uh, yeah, the, the kind of tough question for any authors to describe themselves, even after writing book after book. <laughs> but, yeah, in simplest terms, I'm Bengali. Uh, I'm a UK author, hence the accent, um, living currently on the west coast of Canada. Um, I have been writing for the last 10 years and self-publishing for the last 10 years, Ooh, 11 now actually, and uh, yeah, a range of fantasy books, <laughs> thank you, yeah, I've written a range of fantasy books and series, uh, four, three series, uh, one on the way to being complete, and a standalone, that's the Heart of Stone you mentioned, and yeah, I write epic fantasy with a lot of darkness in it, but a lot of dark wit at the same time, straying into grim dark, weird west on one series, and so yeah, very kind of unorthodox fantasy, or I like to think so character-led and also world-building led which is why i'm excited to be chatting today <laughs> perfect all right so if you had to paste a definition onto the concept of world building what would it be ah see no a concept is always difficult <laughs> but i always describe it um i always describe my kind of process of world building as um basically canvas building so mm. it's something that, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, they think actual full on globe <laughs> of detail. And I think, you know, it is the stage. It is the canvas for the art. It is the stage uh, for the actors. And, you know, it's the kind of the setting for your world. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I describe it in general. Um, but, yeah, obviously, it's much faster than that, as we're probably going to get into. Uh, but, yeah, that's probably how I describe it. <laughs> it's okay. smallest form. So you you talked a little bit about having stories that are very character driven, and you're also very well known for your world building. So my next question is, do you tend to build your worlds around your characters or do you build your worlds first and then populate it with your characters? Mm. It's interesting. I was thinking about how to answer this earlier because I do switch between the two, annoyingly. <laughs> so there's no <laughs> kind of definitive answer for this. Um, so, I mean, taking it back to my series, the first books uh, I wrote were uh, the Emanesca series. And uh, so in that one, it was kind of the idea of the character. Um, even though the name of the world just popped into my head one day, out uh, completely nowhere. It was kind of random. <laughs> um, the actual idea of the main character, Farden, who's uh, throughout the main, uh, the first series and is also featured in the New Skousen Chronicles. Um, he, uh, his, the idea of um, his spellbook tattooed into his back, um, and obviously his armor that's kind of features throughout the series as well. Those two things were what led um, the story and the actual story creation and kind of the genesis point of the entire series. And obviously it led onto the world, but yeah, that was character driven. Um, and then with other worlds, it's kind of, or other series, it's kind of been, it's been the opposite. I've kind of traded back and forth. Heart of Stone was um, actually character driven. So that was my third book, the, sorry, the 
oh, let's go in order. <laughs> so after Eminem's series with the Scarlet Star trilogy, that was driven by the world. So I alternated back to world building, and that was the idea of a kind of an alternate 1800s Wild West sort of setting. And then yeah, Heartstone went back to the character, and that was the idea of a, a war machine made of stone, 500 years old, absolutely indestructible a golem uh, called Task. And then, yeah, switched again. <laughs> I've just been flip-flopping back and forth uh, because Jason Gray's, uh, my last series, was all about this world where ghosts are enslaved uh, as you know, basically servants for the rich and the powerful. And the whole world revolves around necromancy and death and essentially slavery. And so, yeah, that's kind of the uh, <laughs> kind of the progress I've gone through. Um, with, I mean, the book ideas um, that I've got kind of written down, I've got this big old chunky book of, of anything I think of gets thrown in the book. And I was kind of going through them just before this, uh, this call, and I was just thinking, right, which trying to give them a score, essentially, which one's a character in the world. And it is predominantly 75% world. So I kind of think of a concept for a setting, essentially, and then populated with characters, um, kind of in the majority of the, the way I approach things. Um, but yeah, the world to me is always kind of, uh, it's also a character as well. So I mean, yeah, expand that concept of world building out. I always like to make the world, however simple, even if it's just harsh weather, and kind of feature as much as a character would in the actual fantasy novel. So it is a setting, but it affects the characters, it affects the plot, it has its own kind of whims, <laughs> unpredictable whims as well. So yeah. So you, with with going back and forth, I, I I totally get that. For me, I have one book out, but I have others kind of in the ether, mm -hmm. and each one has been its own beast. Like you have to kind of yeah. write it its own way. And so I'm curious with with jumping back and forth, do you think that it's just whichever ideas come first you build around or is it whichever kind of ideas are the strongest seed to grow from? Hmm. I think it's uh, I would say primarily the former, because uh, mm -hmm. to me, it's this, the spark. You've got to have yeah. this passion for an idea. You've got to sit up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, dear Christ, I have to write this down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, or it's something that, yeah, there's something just that steals you away from another book, you know, something that. Just like I said, yeah, the spark that just makes you want to dive in and get it done. And that's where a lot of the kind of uh, the quickness, I think, of, of writing or, the, you know, the speed of writing comes from, or at least, you know, the actual uh, focus on the project as well, if you're not a speedy writer. Um, and I think so, yeah, that's always whatever's kind of come first and just hooked me. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was, for instance, going back to the um, uh, Chasing Graves season, Graves uh, series, it was idea of this vast city just populated by the dead and even though it was kind of changed and altered around and obviously changed a lot before it's, it's kind of final product um it was just that idea of just like well what would that do yeah. <laughs> what does that mean you know and how they control what powers do they have and it just it's kind of like the um uh the kind of the first step over that rabbit hole mm -hmm. and you suddenly just think right i'm just going to throw myself down here and see what happens and then suddenly everything else comes to it and then you think well i of course need a main character who's a ghost <laughs> and then you know the, suddenly the world is populated and i need this guy who's a ghost and slaver and all this sort of stuff and then yeah it just kind of tumbles down so whatever the idea is whatever the spark is uh, in fact for the most recent book um the one i followed uh was the uh, the concept of mile high trees you know, a little bit Avatar, um, but a little bit inspired by, you know, the scenery around here on Vancouver Island. Yeah. There's a place nearby called, uh, well, same nearby, it's about two hours drive. <laughs> um, Cathedral Grove, which, which is a lot for the guy from the UK, but <laughs> North Americans, Canadians, and, and you guys from the US, it's just like, well, no, that's just down to, to get the groceries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but either way, yeah. So, yeah, there's this place called Cathedral Grove, which is uh, full of these incredible trees. Um, you know, not the absolute biggest in the world, not uh, similar to the California Redwoods, 
uh, slightly smaller, but still, I mean, taller than the Tower of Pisa. There's this one here, and it's it's just an insane. And suddenly, bam, that was the moment where I thought, I need to write about these. Yeah. And of course, giant trees. <laughs> giant trees, mile high, you never do anything normal in fantasy. You know, definitely, definitely not. And so, yeah, I just decided to write mile high trees, and this it spawned this entire series that I'm writing on. Uh, well, series that I'm working the first, on the first book of now uh, with David Estes, and it's just hooked me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Get those ideas, and then the kind of the cause and effects chain starts spiraling from there. Mm. Oh, exactly. Yeah, even just um, uh, a name. I had. Um, I probably won't use this because it's difficult to fit the word Twilight into a title without evoking thoughts of Twilight these days. <laughs> but I'd yeah. like to be able to do it. Maybe it's been enough years now. But um, I have a list of title ideas, and sometimes it'll just come from the title. In fact, Chasing Graves was uh, another idea that I kind of stole the title from. But the other day, I was just writing something down. I just accidentally wrote something along the lines of Knights of Twilight. I was like, right, going in the book. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I can imagine this whole, I don't know, world of darkness coming from that. And I was just like, right, cool. That'll be scheduled at M for sometime in the future. <laughs> Probably 2027 or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the idea hopper, the never-ending growing mm. collection. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a pleasure and a pain at the same time, but yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> Better to have too many than too few. Mm. Exactly. You know, it's never it's never a bad idea to write. Or I would say it's an incredibly uh, kind of, kind of crucial idea to note down all the ideas that you have, um, whatever it is, because the, the times that I've found myself in a little bit of a slump, because uh, I'm kind of on the planning side of the spectrum, um so you know i do write kind of large um kind of note documents uh you know, about five thousand words uh minimum of just kind of notes ideas threads storylines plots characters all sorts of stuff um so you know when i'm kind of doing that it's it's so useful when i kind of uh, hit a gap to go back to that ideas document and something that could have been a book or you know kind of like a, i don't know a main character or a main element of another book or another idea i can actually just borrow and slot straight in so yeah kind of fun <laughs> so zooming back out a little bit to the kind of the overarching idea of world building mm. is it something that all authors do or is it just more the domain of genre authors i think i mean you could argue and i have <laughs> at bars and cons um that you could say that any author who even writes in the real world you know kind of uh, modern day real world uh genre uh, genre fiction let's say i don't know romance thriller crime anything like that you do technically world build because it's, especially if it's kind of close to the character and it's you know close perspective and uh, or even first person you know they have to have a world we all have worlds around us you know um cityscapes landscapes <laughs> that sort of thing and so you kind of have to do an essential i think piece of it <laughs> no matter what you write even if you're just saying like you know this guy lives in san francisco and you know he goes through this bar and this cafe and these are the streets that he walks on and this is where this crime happens or this event happens or you know you have to build this kind of microcosm um otherwise then i think yeah the more uh, you lean towards kind of the sff genres uh, or even just you know some other kind of weird fiction genres and things like that uh, the more you have to build because the world doesn't exist around your characters. Um, and the more you have to make shit up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's essentially it. And so, yeah, when you get talking, you know, high fantasy and stuff, it's to the level of, I don't know, um, kind of like Warhammer, you know, 40K, you know, the history documents and, and you know, your Lord of the Rings level when you're 
completely out of the way of the kind of <laughs> and completely in the secondary world fantasy, then yeah, you've got a lot of building to do. So I mean, yeah, there's kind of just it's it's you know inherent in the genres we choose and kind of the books we write. But I think everyone builds, you know, everyone builds a world to a certain extent, which I think is fun. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually really excited to someday write. Uh, going on a complete tangent here, but yeah, really excited to someday write a book in the real world. And just yeah, do the world building from that side of things and just yeah. mess around. Yeah, I got a little taste in the Scarlet Star trilogy because it is um, alternate history, so it's set in Wyoming, but that is the absolute frontier of the known world, and no one's travelled past that. And it's set in London, and there is a Queen Victorious, and so there's a lot of kind of history being dug out of that. But again, not not modern day, not real world. So yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah, <laughs> Knowing me, I'd have to put something strange and made up in there anyway. <laughs> oh, cool. that 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 tends to me be my brand a bit is take take the real world and give it one hard twist in one area. Um, it. But it, I mean, one thing that I found with with using the the real world is that you know even though it all exists, it's it's almost like at the very least, if if you didn't want to call it world building, it's at least world curation, right? Because you can't include exactly. all of the information, so you you're picking and choosing what makes it in, what gets focused on, and all of that. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah, world creation is, is a great way to put it, or curation rather. Um, yeah, world borrowing, yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. heard before as well. Um, you know, it's that sort of, you know, it kind of bleeds into, I think, the spectrum of writing. And, you know, are you an architect or a gardener? And mm -hmm. I think, you know, sometimes it, it works, it, you know, kind of intermeshes with that. Um, yeah, I, it's one of my favorite parts. Hence why, you know, we're chatting about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it is forward. absolutely the. Yes, for me, I've bored quite a few people in my time actually doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, not doing it today. Oh, we are we are fans of of tangents and and going after the wild goose, so it's totally fine yeah, for me it. here. <laughs> <Let's do it. laughs> um, okay, so what are some of your favorite literary worlds from a world building standpoint? The ones that just really stuck with you, mm. and also if you could talk a little bit about what you think made them work so well. I think um, the one that always, I mean, okay, let's get, let's get the obvious one out first. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Middle Earth is, you know, I, I know it's a huge influence because it was so popular and it's just so embedded in our society, especially or in our genre in general. Um, and I just, it's so vast and it's so detailed. And, even, you know, he could have built a quarter of that and it still would have stood up to some of the most detailed worlds we still have. Um, you know, so, yes, huge love for Tolkien. And I think it just that was what really instilled in me in uh, when I was a kid, how vast and how detailed a secondary world, you could even argue like tertiary world, uh, could be. And, you know, I was I was one of these kids that was making up languages and alphabets and things like that when I was first writing at age nine all the way through you know, early teens. And, you know, it, it really kind of, um, I think, led me down that path of, True is not the right word. <laughs> Let me down that path of, yeah, just full world building and just full secondary world. And, you know, even though I have bled into the real world a little bit, my love will always be and my focus will always be on just whisking that reader through a doorway or through a window of just complete fantasy. And, mm -hmm. you know, having these little touch points to help people recognize things as they go through. Um, but otherwise, just, you know, somewhere that they would never see before outside of this book or outside of the genre. Um, Lord of the Rings really taught me how to do that. <laughs> so it's got to be there. Um, secondary one, or sorry, second one would be um, Mortal Engines or The World of Mortal Engines by Philip mm. Reed. Um, my gosh, <laughs> when I first picked that up when I was a kid, um, I just, I don't know, I just, I read Mortal Engines and the idea of cities moving around 
was so completely fantastical. Um, and obviously, you know, it, it kind of had been done in different forms before in terms of scale. Um, you know, at that time, this is, ooh, I feel like I test my knowledge now. I feel like it's 10 years ago, but the pandemic's just stretched everything out. So it's probably like 20, <laughs> <laughs> probably definitely 20 years ago. Um, yeah, around that time, it was just so groundbreaking. And um, yeah, just the kind of the, it wasn't about the depth of Lord of the Rings, it wasn't the scope, it's more about like the, the who gives a shit, let's just have this and let's be wild and wacky and make it work. <laughs> you know, let's really push the boundaries, have entire cities. You know, there's a bit where um, they mention in the first book, and I think it's featured later on, is the idea of a, an ice skating city called Archangel in Russia. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> it's just, it's so... I don't know, so wholesome <laughs> for the brain, for the imagination. And so, yeah, that's always stuck with me. I've, uh, it's inspired a lot of things, especially coming back to this new series. Um, my mile high trees move. So, you know, having that scale of something moving around and just, you know, dwarfing the main characters. I just love it. <laughs> and they did, you know, they did a good job of the film as well, I suppose. Peter Jackson, you know, he gets a lot of love from me, but it's a hard thing to pull off. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, yeah otherwise... Number three, um, mainly because it's kind of prominent in my mind at the moment, is just Roshar um, from the Stormlight Archive, uh, or Roshar, or uh, however <laughs> you can say it, however you want. Um, yeah, I just think that that really gripped me. Um, it feels very, very real. It feels incredibly true. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, through Brandon Sanderson's, you know, descriptive powers and, you know, the way that you also view it from uh, the multiple different POVs that he has, as opposed to the other two examples, you know, it's, so obviously there are multiple POVs in effect, but it is very you know, centered around the main character, I mean, kind of squad. And so, yeah, just the ability to see this whole spread of this world and this whole depth of this world and have it so interactive in the plots and in the worlds of the characters, you know, uh, the storms, for example, and the way it shapes the world and the creatures and the flora and the fauna. Love it. Yeah, that one will always stick with me. <laughs> Can't wait to finish that. I, there's so many books I've kind of fallen back behind it and they are absolute tomes. <laughs> they are tree trunks of books. So yeah, I've got a lot of reading today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I find for me a lot of the times uh, it's the, the worlds that I can't kind of emotionally escape. Like one that always comes mm. to mind for me is, um, we actually talked about it in, in a previous episode recently, is uh, the book Vert by Jeff Noon. I don't know if you've read that one. Oh, that one. It's very, basically it's VR, but... Mm drug-induced vr sounds good <laughs> it's just dark and gritty <laughs> and that you can't it's one of those books where you're just constantly getting kicked in the chest as you read it and <laughs> most people wouldn't yeah. like that i i tend to like that <laughs> but um yeah it just you you can't you can't it would never let you go right and, mm-hmm. and it's just the you you talked about this earlier where it's the the world is a character right the, the mm-hmm. world is really performing all of this, these duties and, and uh, acting, right? It has a role to play in, in, in yeah. what's going on. All right, let's jump back to our drink. Um, one let's thing we talk it. about one <laughs> thing we talk about in every episode is smell and taste because in writing, Ooh, yes. they're the most overlooked senses. And so I like to you know, bring that back a little bit here. So oh, when I you are that. having yeah. an old fashioned, what are you getting from it? What are those smells, those Ooh. tastes, those sensations? <laughs> well, I should know that. I drink enough of them, I should just know. But 
to me, I mean, the predominant one is orange. I do this thing where I, I'm kind of cheating here because I used to, I spent a lot of my time being a cocktail barman in the range of bars back in the UK. And so I don't know, I wouldn't say I've got some skills, but I've got a few little skills. <laughs> and so one of the things I kind of like to do with an old fashioned is the trick of, um, I mean, you can't see it on stick, but <laughs> in terms of you kind of get the orange peel, I have one prepared. Uh-huh. And then you sort of get it between finger and thumb and you do the trick where you kind of squeeze it and then hold a lighter and it does. That, you know the oil just flares up yeah i do the same and thing with mine then makes it yay yes. <laughs> I love it. and it makes it shiny it brings the kind of like the charred orange out and i just take it over the like the rim of the glass and just Ooh. rub it around before throwing it in so you get that kind of when you approach the glass ice skin i love this oh <laughs> i like yeah, that i hadn't thought about glass, you get that smoky thing yeah, yeah. it's amazing and so that really leads it and then otherwise you know then you get kind of the I'm using bullet bourbon for my um, for my old fashioned, so it's kind of you know this slight smoke, but mostly the kind of caramel, uh, the the kind of the hit of cinnamon and stuff like that a little bit, and then otherwise I should have a cherry in here, but I couldn't find any of those in the shop. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, um, otherwise with taste, I mean yeah, you get the kind of the um, oh man, I never get a chance to really describe stuff unless I do a fight scene, but I never <laughs> sorry a feast scene, I never go to describe stuff like this. Um, but yeah, otherwise just think. See, I'm getting the, the obviously the spice of the alcohol uh, mixed with yeah, the more of the caramel, the sugar. I use dark sugar in there, and then it mm-hmm. kind of tapers off with that kind of bitter orange from the oil, and then also the Angostura bitters, which I've got in there as well, which I do like a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's a lot of it's kind of ooh, sweet mixed with the the spice and then the bitterness as well. So I think it's yeah, that's what I'm getting. <laughs> so this is actually what about you? Funny. What do you well, get? So. so we we set this up so that we would each kind of make our own take and then talk about it. But exactly. mine's pretty damn similar. I've got <laughs> bullet rye instead of Ooh, the bourbon. Okay. Um, yeah. And then so I do Angostura, but I also do orange bitters as well. Interesting. That's a good Just because yeah. I used to do right. a little bit of orange juice in there because I like mine really kind of orange yeah. forward as well. But I find the bitters is a little bit. It leaves the it leaves the the booze a little bit more pure. So you get more of those flavors coming through. Yeah. Um, I love your idea about um, hitting the rim after you yeah. flame the orange. That's a genius idea. I'm definitely going to steal that. It's something. I mean, it's it's probably one of those things that's more pretentious looking than it actually has a function, but it does have a little bit of a function. Oh, any <laughs> excuse just, to play to with fire. Cosmopolitans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it looks pretty good, especially if you get a big chunk of orange and obviously, you know, the flames of the oil as you squeeze it. So when oh, yeah. inwards comes out, it's always great on a bar. Um, but yeah, Cosmos, I used to do it with as well, because obviously you've got kind of, you know, it adds to the, the cranberry flavor mm-hmm. um, and kind of the, the hit of the vodka as well. That's the other one I used to do it on. Anything with kind of like that doesn't, that can kind of support that strong orange flavor, adding that bit of bitterness to it yeah. and kind of bringing it to the top of the glass. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you want to just do some cocktails, like do a guest spot on a bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just working it. But I forget the work side of things. I always remember just the, the fun stuff and trying to flare and just, you know, making cocktails and having that slight little showmanship, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I miss, I, what I don't miss and what I, I do forget about is the, you know, dragging the bar mats up at the end of the night and scrubbing <laughs> the floor. And yeah. Catching bar flies with one of those electric tennis rackets. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you mentioned cherries. By the end of the episode, or at the after the episode's over, I will send you a recipe for brandy cherries. I've, I, was, I've, I literally just mentioned this is what I need. I need to macerate or brandy or something, some cherries. <laughs> the the trick the trick with the cherries I found is, and I don't know why this is, but it has to be French brandy, not Italian brandy. 
Interesting. For some reason, okay. I did exactly the same recipe. That yeah. was the only thing that changed. And they were both good, but the Italian version just didn't work as well for some reason. Anyway, I'll, I'll get you the recipe. It's really easy yeah. and, and mm. really it's good. too much sugar. Ah, yeah, I'd be interested to sign up. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Cheers, yeah, absolutely. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> All right, so jumping back in with uh, world building, authors are often pretty intimidated by the thought of having to build a world. Um, mm. And I think a lot of that stems from the perception of basically having to do it all, having to build an entire world from scratch when, mm -hmm. I mean, really you're, you're never doing that. And it would almost, almost be in a way possibly detrimental. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you go about choosing what real world aspects you add to your world and then what is a purely created aspect? Mm. I think, um, so kind of focusing on, you know, the Genesis point of the story, I'll always kind of like basically have that as the, as the, the core and build out from there. So let's take care uh, of the idea of you know, Jason Grace, for example. Um, you know, the idea, as I mentioned, was just having this kind of the idea that you could bond ghosts after their death or bodies after their death um, and then kind of take their, their soul. That literally that is called a shade in the book. You are just a spectral form and you are bound to a person through necromagic and you have to serve them. <laughs> or you actually are, you know, killed off and completely dead and irreversible, irreversibly so. So with that, you know, essentially it was daunting. So I'm thinking, you know, this is a fine genesis point, but there is a huge amount of work to do here to build an entire world that's essentially half dead. It affects a huge amount of stuff. So, you know, it's daunting, but then I think, you know, I kind of approach it from a, uh, from a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I approach it from a kind of strategy of layering over everything that we understand and recognize in our real world. And then I, like I said, overlay that on my idea, find parallels from it, and then kind of either expand or remove to make things a bit unique. So, for example, I always go down the list of things like religion. Um, you know, everything that we have in our world on a day to day basis, you know, less day to day, for example, you might not be religious or it might not affect you, but it exists, you know, in our globe <laughs> um, somewhere at some place. So, for instance, yeah, religion, uh, flora and fauna, um, things like recreation, things like transport and travel, things like beasts of burden, uh, things like uh, clothing, fashion, uh, trends, political ideas. You know, the list goes on. Anything that you could map from our world, uh, industry, fuel sources, which is all those two as well. <laughs> so, yeah, all sorts of things like that. Oh, currency. There's another one. Either way, yeah. as you can see, list goes on and on and on and on. So what you can do is basically say, you know, and what I did is think, uh, no religion in this world. So that was something I, you know, thought about, wrote it down as one parallel, and thought actually the absence uh, or the kind of the surplus of ghosts and the mastery over death means that, you know, humans don't really care about gods. They don't give a shit anymore. They're gone. They're dead. <laughs> so we have the absence of religion, and then I can bring it back later into something that's very unique to the world once the reader's kind of invested in the world. So, yeah, you can kind of map things with stuff like a recreation. Um, you know, it's purely for the, the rich and powerful in my world because the rest are literally the dead or just so downtrodden by this kind of um, top-down system uh, and this world of murder and soul-catching and brutality. Um, but they just, they have no recreation. They're working. <laughs> so you're talking big parties. You're talking things like, I don't know, arenas, all sorts of grand exciting stuff so yeah through those through that method i'm kind of just finding the parallels deciding what to keep what to change what to omit and then translating it into my world 
And that's where the kind of the uniqueness, a lot of that comes from is then what do you, let's say if you have currency, using that as an example, what is the currency? So in Chasing Grays, it was souls, but also, you know, have the currency running alongside it, uh, which is the, the copper coins. Uh, and then you have gold and gems and things like that, things of other worth, uh, like we do. Uh, but yeah, and then you can think, well, actually, I'm going to have, um, I don't know, human ears, <laughs> if you want to get dark, you know, a currency based on how many people you kill, which again is kind of part of the Chasing Grays world. The king, or so the emperor, has the most souls. Whoever has the most souls owns the most slaves, rules. So yeah, you kind of, you just follow these parallels, follow the structure. Um, the trick and the kind of skill from it is recognizing all the aspects of our world, taking a real kind of very look at you know the, the things that we have around us and then the decisions uh, side of things of emitting and kind of twisting uh and then also kind of the, the uniqueness you add on the on the end of it in terms of how it features in your world and yeah from that you can go to kind of how does it play a part you know how do you you just follow these threads essentially and you know, how does it affect the characters how am i going to feature it how do i describe it and then that's where you know if you're kind of twisting everything and adding everything and making it incredibly fantastical and otherworldly that's you know you make sure you're adding the breadth through the just the sheer kind of things you thought through as well as you know the just kind of secondary world element and through actually yeah <laughs> twisting it and changing it so yeah it's kind of I, I think i might have kind of straight off there but that is basically kind of how i approach it so that it isn't daunting to me and then instead it's actually exciting so i'm thinking oh i've got a lot of work to do but it's a lot of kind of fun work um this is why i really love alternate history as well because you have those parallels laid out and then you just get to twist and take them away and do stuff yeah. like that um so i had a lot of fun with that yeah weird west <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. Um, but i mean yeah going back to the, the daunting side of things it is difficult and mainly because a lot of people think they have to build an entire i you keep using the word globe you know entire world and actually, we can kind of stick to a country, a continent, sometimes even a city. Um, and we can kind of have like almost an ether of, um, you know, further lands and other detail around it, which is useful for adding more, you know, kind of believability and intrigue for the reader. Um, but we don't, you know, we shouldn't be starting with everything. We shouldn't be going from world, continents, countries, cities. We should be going from yeah, cities or even towns out to the country. And then maybe if it's actually pertinent to the story, the plot, uh, or to the detail of the world. Yeah, That's, I mean, Star Trek does that quite quite well. I love this, um, <laughs> it's a sci-fi example, but it's something I always think of when I was just chatting about um, just what food they want, you know, just like, would you like some Klingon blood wine? <laughs> yeah. So you're not necessarily seeing the whole planet of Klingon. You don't have to, I mean, they obviously have and do, but you don't, let's say if you're just mentioning that as a throwaway line, you give this kind of perspective or just this insight into another area of the planet without having to build it or if you're not doing planets, plane, whatever you want. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of how I get around it or how I recommend a lot of authors should get around it is, you know, start around the microcosm, microcosm of the character if you started with the character first. If you started with the world first, take it down to its smallest point and yeah, work through the parallels of our real world uh, for inspiration and for guidance. And then yeah, just have fun with it. Because you could just sprawl out loads of ideas. You don't have to use them all. <laughs> you can just throw them in, kind of uh, break from them here and there. It's great. And from an organization standpoint, what would you recommend for newbie authors who are just getting their feet wet when it comes to world building? Do you have any any tips or tricks mm -hmm. on um, how to approach kind of the, the just organizing your thoughts around it? Yeah. I would, again, I'd say probably start small just so you can kind of have, um, you know, what is this town called? 
what are its people? <clears throat> you know, what's the, is it a mining town? Is it a rural town? Is it, I don't know, <laughs> using town as an example. Could be anything, could be, you know, a region, however small you want to start. And then essentially kind of working through, I, I, I write it down, like I said, I'm on the planning structure as a planning side of the spectrum. So I just write it down in terms of, you know, the name of the place. Um, and in fact, I've got a star sheet on my website that kind of helps with this, uh, like a story Bible. Um, and it's just essentially how I do it. So I have tables of, you know, uh, the timeline, um, history of the world. And again, the parallels, the currency, the religion, um, social rankings, how royalty works. And I should get up here on my screen. Let's look through some more. But yeah, flora and fauna things. So is it a wallet or a coin purse? You know, things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of small stuff. And then you kind of can add some stuff through that. And then otherwise, yeah, just working through it, working through the beasts, working through yeah, currency, religion, all those sorts of things, and just noting it down. Because um, otherwise, you know, you can forget things <laughs> as well. And the act of writing things down into a document is somehow cathartic and just like locks it in um, while allowing you to forget about it and think of other things. <laughs> so, yeah, big fan of noting things down, even if you're not one of the you know, a planner, let's say. Uh, and yeah, it just I think it's just a real useful process to do that. Um, and just it really kind of introduces you to your own world because you have to know it better than the reader. You yeah. have to be saying, yeah. hello, welcome. I'm going to show you this bit. Then I'm going to show you this bit, but we're not going to see this bit yet. That's later. Yeah, <laughs> you know absolutely. I mean? But yeah. I might want to hint about it. Yeah, so it's all about, I mean, you'll discover it as well. That's another thing I kind of want to get across is you, I like to do it beforehand, but I'll tell you what, I do a huge amount of world building within the novel to the point where maybe a third or half of it um, that I might have written down in a plan isn't lost or isn't, you know, it's, it's a process. It isn't lost, it isn't kind of changed. It's definitely in there in some sort of format. Um, but then I come up with other ideas, you know, chapter 10, 15, 20, even in, I don't know, 30, right at the end, I suddenly think, this is a cool thing I need. And then I go back. <laughs> That's what the drafts are for. So again, don't feel, I would say to, to Dave, your authors, don't feel that you have to do everything, um, even at the, you know, the start. You know, allow the process to happen naturally, organically as well. And you'll suddenly realize, like, no, I want um, this sort of character or this sort of beast in there. And yeah, just put it in the drafts. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, nothing. no one's ever going to see anything until you're kind of necessarily happy with it. So, um, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to necessarily see anything you know, until you're happy with it. So, uh, and that's why we've got beta readers and editors. So, yeah, I, I always like to make sure people get away from this idea that whatever you put down in a plan or a first draft is concrete and it's taken very seriously. And it's, this must be it must be right first time. Hell no. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> God, I would change things 10 years on, you know, <laughs> from a book I wrote a couple of years back, just because you're constantly learning, you're constantly coming up with new ideas. And um, yeah, that's it. Do you find that as you're collecting ideas for your world building, that you, thinking about kind of um, when they're hitting you, do you tend to have, you know, your, your big bag of ideas that you're sprinkling in as you go and then add a few more or do you find that you're adding in enough to keep the progress going and then adding a lot more in a second or third draft? Mm. Yeah, I would say most of it is done in the first draft. So like I said, I probably, I map out what I think is the world. And as mm -hmm. I get into it, I would say, like I said, 50% of that or a third of that will change. Um, but I mean, compared to its kind of original format, I would keep practically 75% or 100% of the world building that I came up with at the start 
in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of it's thrown out. A lot of it doesn't work. I find uh, new ideas and things like that. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that kind of works. It's, it's hard to, again, it's one of these things that's hard to do because it also changes for other books as well. This new book that I'm writing is a lot more discovery for me. I've planned a huge amount, but then I'm also just kind of <laughs> following where I go. So, yeah, a lot of that is then updating. Um, you know what i had in mind and i'm yeah, discovering a lot and then it becomes a trick of making sure you're keeping track of it so using that story bible less as a plan but more as a tracker so writing down that i put in this creature that i'm bound to forget i've mentioned in the next chapter <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah that's always fun yeah going back and seeding things in <laughs> all right so one thing i've seen happen I would say it's not ultra common, but it does happen, is that sometimes authors go a bit too far with their world building. Um, and and so what might be some of the hallmarks that would help someone who's writing their story avoid kind of pushing the envelope a little too far with what they're creating and what they're adding? I think that comes in at two stages. So let's say if you are like me and you're a, you're a planning side of the spectrum, you like to plan things out before diving into the book, <clears throat> I would say that there is the danger there of going too far behind the scenes and just spending the days that you should have switched into writing, still planning and feeling like you have to map every single mind, yeah, piece of minutiae out. And, you know, like I say, I do an extensive plan and it's, you know, I discover a lot when I'm writing and, yeah, I kind of you know, stick along to it roughly speaking um but i still don't map out everything you know not every tiny little piece it's almost impossible and that task is you know it's down to the writing not the plan so yeah. at some point you've got to switch and you've got to say this is more than i need <laughs> or exactly what i need to go forward and to you know be able to draw in these things without sort of thinking them on the fly to you know be able to describe the world perfectly and to be able to kind of put the characters into peril and have them move around so there is a point where you're going to have to say, nope, done enough planning and get to the book, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a mistake that a lot of people can make is that they will um, focus too much on that. And they'll, it's comforting, you know, think because I'm not actually writing. So I can just stick in this little cocoon of like this fantasy world and it's all fun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you got to describe it, you got to make it into a story. So that's, I think, where that problem kind of first affects authors. Otherwise, where it becomes apparent in the actual product, in, in the book itself, let's say, um, and I think some pitfalls that authors can uh, fall into is over description, first of mm -hmm. all. So feeling that, you know, their book is, um, you know, essentially so fantastical that they have to explain every single little bit of it. Whereas, you know, you can leave a bit of discovery. And this is what, you know, info dumping you know, kind of refers to is, you know, describing the shape of the buildings. Uh, in the, let's say we take the first chapter and we're introduced to this world. And if we introduce to it via detail because you're so proud of this world and it is, let's say, incredibly vibrant, don't just show it, tell it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Way oh, yeah. Don't just tell it. <laughs> yeah. Show it. Oh, my God. Yeah, you've got to change that one. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> don't just don't just tell it. You've got to show it around. So you basically have to make sure that you are using the characters who interact with the world instead of just saying, there is a city, this city is shaped like this. This is the history of the city, it's founded in this year. And it had this war at this time, and this has left this scar. And because of that, these people do this. You know? yeah. That's not a story, that's just, that's like, you know, literally a description. Um, and so use the characters, you, you know, spread things out, avoid info dumping like the plague, and, you know, only feature when it matters to enhance the plot 
deep in the world or add a bit of intrigue, you know, things like that. So that's kind of how I approach it um, myself is to make sure I'm never kind of giving more than, or dumb thing is it's kind of subjective depending on how complicated your world is. Um, I do a lot more info dumping, for example, in Chasing Grace than Manasca because the world is kind of, it's expected. It's a Nordic world. There's ice. We've all seen ice before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that sort of thing. So you can get away with, you know, short descriptions on things that you recognize, but also just making sure that you're teasing it. You're kind of revealing, you know, you're slowly sliding back the curtain rather than just going, here's a whole new world that you've got to be blown away by. <laughs> so I think, yeah, that's, that's one of the major problems is, is that kind of slow, wow. Slows kind of the wrong way, gradual, I'd say, depending on whichever speed you do that, gradual unveiling of the world. And so that people constantly feel that they're discovering. Humans love to discover stuff. Yeah. <laughs> We're naturally curious. So, yeah, that's, I think, the two problems, two areas that it affects. Yeah, I, I think that's right on. Um, sometimes you feel like you almost need to have taken a class about the story beforehand just so you can understand all of the details because yeah. they <laughs> jump in so fast. Um, or, or you'll get the ones where, and, and I totally understand the mindset behind this, but the, sometimes it'll be like, well, you know, they wouldn't call it Thursday in this world. So I, I can't, I got to come up with new names for yeah. the days of the week. <laughs> and I totally understand that. But on the flip side, it's like, well, they wouldn't have written in English either. So it's a translation. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it is the translation. And yeah, I think, in fact, that's a fantastic point because, you know, fantasy and going back to my process of world building, you know, finding those parallels and, and translating them is exactly that. You are, um, you have to make it understandable for the reader. Yeah. And so some things do have to be the same. Swords, for example. I do. I have a thing where I don't have horses a lot in my world. They only feature in, do they even feature actually? No, <laughs> there are no. Nope, there is a horse. There's absolutely a horse. Chase <laughs> Grace has horses. <laughs> but either way, that sort of thing, you know, sometimes it's just very easy to just drop in something that we all know and recognize and just, you know, if readers, there are readers out there who will basically say, well, if this is a fantasy world, then how would you have the evolution that got to a horse? Yes, but uh, would you like me to I go the other way? And I've had reviews about this where I create something that, like, basically, I. I go not too far and blending lizards and horses. And yeah. so I have this kind of like scaly horse things in Hearthstone. And I had plenty of reviews of people just saying like, oh, just stick with the horse. We all know what horses. So you can't please everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, you know, that goes through world building, that goes through, you know, uh, character design, it goes through just writing in general. We cannot please everyone, nor should we try. Yes. And so, yeah, everyone's got a different style. Everyone bleeds information in a different way. But <clears throat> there are some things you can do to suit more people than just <laughs> a small niche, let's say. Yeah. And so then, yeah, that feeds into that where it's, you've got a, I mean, we have night and day, we have, yes, yeah, swords, we have beasts of burden. Just, <laughs> yeah. there's definitely a line to be struck. But yeah, it's about relaxing, essentially, having fun with it. So I think if that comes through more than the actual details, and I get, I'm, I'm a pedant, I get stuck up on things like that as well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. All right, let's pop back to our drink again. And I think Ooh. we're going to do a little world building of our own. So thinking about <laughs> an old fashioned, thinking about mm -hmm. the mood, thinking about, you know, a setting where it, it would be perfect to drink this drink, create that for it. What, what would that scene be? How, what would that world look like? The perfect world for an old fashioned. <laughs> I read this question as in what is my perfect setting for an old fashioned. And that's fine. That's totally fine. <laughs> no, no, no. So I think, I mean, to me, it is a... 
it's not everyone's drink. I know that because half my friends, in fact, most of my friends refuse to drink them. <laughs> um, so I'd say, ooh, I want to stay clear from the classic cop-out tavern scene. I would say this is the sort of drink that someone would have before battle. Thinking off the top of my head, because I read this question completely differently. No, I would think it's one of those things. <laughs> no worries. I think it's one of those things where maybe you have this character, I'm just imagining this in my head, sort of standing over the conquering of a city uh, and watching it from afar and being very happy and pleased with themselves and about to wade in and grab the final glory of the scene by, you know, decapitating the monster or something, you know, basically landing that final blow, which is going to get all of the glory, but none of the, took none of the toil. And I think, you know, having some sort of diminutive, uh, obsequious servant coming up and saying, here is your old fashioned servant. And then he just takes this victorious swig, drains half of it in one go, and then just says, and now my sword! Jumps on his griffin or dragon or, I don't know, giant eagle and, and flies off, lands in a cool slam of magic. That's what I think. Let's go with that. <laughs> I love it. It's, it, it. I like that scene. It, it's funny how, for such a simple drink, I feel like, especially if you're a little bitter, is heavy with it, it. It does have a pretty indulgent feel to it, like kind it of does. that yeah. smooth, satiny, rich. Yeah, and usually expensive in most of the bars around yeah. here as well. So you know, you're kind of like, I'm going to treat myself, and yeah. I better enjoy this. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> but yeah, just to go back to how I kind of uh, thought about this, uh, how I'd answered it, and that's my bad for not reading the notes. No, 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 <laughs> I, I changed it up a little bit on you. Sorry. <laughs> that's all good. No worries. Um, it's great. I get to have two answers for one question. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of bars, I like to kind of work out in cafes and bars and pubs and things like that, and just you know. Um, be around as much as we can now. <laughs> yeah. Be around people. You know, it's fun for like coming up with characters and stuff like that. Just being like, who do I make you look like? <laughs> and then there's someone right there to kind of describe. Um, but you know, it gets me out of the house, away from the desk, and it's just a fun environment to write uh, to write in. And so one of the places down here just sits on this real nice kind of uh, kind of classic street. It's called Government Street in Victoria. It's just got lots of trees, lots of people. It's the uh, it's pedestrianized, it's demonstrized. Um, and there's just a, a nice bar, obviously, with you know a little patio, and they do a mean old fashioned, which I think mine are slightly, slightly better, but they have great cherries, so <laughs> swings and roundabouts. <laughs> and I just sit there, and it's you know nice and covered and shady, and it's a great place to write. It's one of my favorite little places. So yeah, that's my scene for an old fashioned. There's a kind of dappled sunlight afternoon where it's not too hot, no breeze, and I'm just chilling. Hopefully, cranking out some words. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, running out now, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, jumping back to our world building. What do you mm. think are some common mistakes people make when they're trying to world build? Mm. Um, and additionally, are there any elements that are you think are specifically hard to get right? Ooh, good question. So, mistakes. I would say, yeah, kind of aside from the two that we've already spoken about in, in terms of getting stuck into your plan and also info dumping in your early sections in the book, um, I would say one of the common mistakes is maybe not thinking deep enough and sort of, you know, introducing those anachronisms and details that actually might not be uh, present in your world and that you could have maybe tweaked a bit more to be fantastical. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the best way to describe or answer that. It says, yeah, going to the other side of the spectrum from info dumping <laughs> yeah. is being a little lazy. Um, you know, there's it's kind of, I don't know, when everyone uses like gold coins and everyone's got a horse, everyone's got a sword, everyone's in the same sort of armor. And it's, you know, prevalent throughout fantasy. So I like to see that change. 
Um, this is why I loved, uh, what was it, the, no, no, I might want to cut that out because that example has just absolutely fled from my head. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, in any case, I, yeah, I like to see, just in general, I like to see kind of differences. I like to see just little twists. And I think sometimes a lot of um, fantasy books could be made just a little bit better by kind of pushing that boundary a little bit further. You know, is instead of just your classic longsword, maybe change it up to some random weapon. Um, you know, I don't know, a whip with a blade on the end, a hammer. Even though little touches like that can just, I mean, this is more characters design than world building, but uh, yeah, obviously it translates. I think, yeah, not pushing the envelope enough uh, in your genre. Um, otherwise, I would say elements that are hard to get right is made up languages. Oh, wait, tell you what, no, let's wind that back. In terms of common sayings, uh, that don't, um, so for instance, I read a book, and this I think we'll come back to in terms of my piece in a minute. Um, one of the uh, books I read had Latin in it, and it, in terms of like me, a culpa, and it just drove me mental, and for more reasons that I'm sure we'll get onto. But it just, I mean, that, mm, that's, it's less, it escapes the kind of the line or steps over the line of translation. Yeah. And just borrows a completely real world thing. It's almost like something having a cell phone in medieval times. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not that bad, but it's <laughs> just, it's stuck with me that, that like that much. Um, so I think, yeah, some people will maybe kind of skip over things or again, it, it comes from maybe just practice and you know knowledge and research and things like that. But sometimes I think people will think about something and throw it in maybe without the research or yeah, it happens a lot with phrases. It happens a lot with um, sometimes technological things. Again, you can kind of mess around with it and say it's powered by magic, which is always fun. <laughs> <laughs> Fantasy is great. I think, you know, sci-fi, you kind of have to put slightly more technological mouse into it. But again, just say it's powered by magic or it's magic. I can't make fun of that in my books as well. But yeah, <laughs> I would say that's that's probably the two um, main one of the main elements that I think people kind of uh, struggle with. I would say hmm, trying not to bleed into character, character design languages yeah we'll talk about that so i think languages in general um and also kind of going into place names character names a little bit in terms of like finding a root so a lot of people choose like i have a nordic root a greek or roman root um yeah mesoamerican root and further afield you know a lot of asian roots as well um you know people can you know get comfortable by being grounded in that kind of like uh, theme or setting mm -hmm. that sort of thing uh, which is good but again i think an element that's hard to get right is, of course, appropriation as well. You can't just decide this is it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've at least, you know, if you decide to kind of set your world somewhere that maybe is not your locational culture, you know, you've got to approach that carefully as well. Um, and I think you can do it kind of respectfully as well by, you know, you're writing a book and you've been inspired by it. There's a lot of respect there, but just got there a lot of things in mind. So yeah. Yeah, I find that comes up with a lot of language in terms of, you know, we're just going to base it on this language and we're just going to steal it and change it around and, and that sort of thing, um, <laughs> which is it's difficult to do because obviously our world is rooted in us. Yeah. We take inspiration from us. So it's hard to do. But yeah, it just, I think, deserves a bit more thought than, you know, sometimes a lot of people put in. Offense intended. Because <laughs> we're all learning all the time. And I've done it as well. <laughs> so piggybacking on that a little bit, um, thinking about world building effectiveness, what mm. elements do you think get added or are left out that mm. make a world less effective? One that springs to mind immediately is pets. 
Mm. Um, some people use animals purely for uh, transport, which is fine because you can still kind of add a lot of, or I like to add a lot of kind of character to the beasts that you encounter through any point. I'm always kind of using them as a feature. But I think animals play a huge part in our lives, especially pets, and they make a great character and great sidekick as well. Um, as long as, yeah, you don't kind of use them for shock factor like um, a certain owl in a certain boy wizard series, just in case anyone hasn't read it or seen the films yet, it's a spoiler, but come on. Years. <laughs> there definitely is a statute of limitations. That's it, right? And I think it's used too freely. But um, you know, using an animal just to have an animal companion as well, and it's just like a presence in a in like a, a crew or a squad, I think it's great. I love to use that. And people forget about you know just having things around. Things like messenger birds uh, has been used a lot on messenger animals, um, creatures, you know, Saint Bernards with casks of brandy or something around. Yeah, you know, we've used animals throughout our lives. You know, we domesticated uh, wolves first. And, you know, they have completely changed because of us and, and we have changed with them. So, you know, animals in our world are a huge part of it and I think can play a huge part in the fantasy world. Um, the other one is, oh, I just had it as well. Because I like going through my, I'm just basically going through my list in my head. <laughs> uh, recreation is actually uh, one that is, and sometimes to an extent food, um, it's more of a given or it's kind of just like, oh, I don't know, meat, cheese, ale, stuff like that. And it's yeah. that, or maybe some biscuits on the road. I don't know. <laughs> you know, the usual kind of traveling stuff. But I mean, you could you could go a lot further with it. You could kind of have food that is um, intertwined with society, that's intertwined with, I don't know, the plot. You know, I'd love to I'd love to see a chef fantasy. <laughs> oh, that would be really cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, in fact, I think um, that's, uh, yeah, Michael Miller's new book, <clears throat> one of my recommendations actually has ascended his new uh, Dragon series, which is the main character is a cook. So oh. he's got lots of cooking scenes, which is, you know, he mentioned it. And I've yet to read it, but really looking forward to it. And uh, hopefully I've got that name right, because he's bringing out another one. And I can't remember if I've switched the names, but we'll say ascending. Uh, and it's great. And it's got a blind dragon in as well, which is, again, a nice little twist that I haven't seen a lot of times. Yeah. Um, oh, right. That brings me on to it, actually. So, yeah, aside from recreation, aside from, you know, food and you know, uh, kind of rest and relaxation, I think because everyone's fighting things and everyone's dealing with lots of important world ending stuff, we often forget the downtime. Uh, and that's usually eating around the campfire. But I think it could be explored more. Um, but otherwise, you know, things like, um, you know, representation of, of the different, you know, just facets of our world, people with disabilities, people of different skin colors, um, you know, especially in a connected world where you've got lots of trade. And let's say we talked about those continents that you don't have to feature. But, you know, even if you look through our history, everyone was being intermingled quite early on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of travel, a lot of trade, yeah. a lot of, you know, people just kind of fighting against other people and, you know, a lot of cultures clashing. So why not put it in your fantasy books? Um, it's just examples of a richer world, <laughs> you know? yes. um, especially if you've got lots of different landscapes with lots of different kind of, you know, um, genetic adaptation, you know, over, you know, um, through cultures and things like that. So, yeah, I think those those are probably the main things that get missed out or just maybe not missed out, but overlooked and maybe not explored a lot. Yeah. All right. So jumping on from that, what are some of your pet peeves? when it comes to world building, things where they just don't seem to work out. I would say, I mean, the one, I'm not going to name any names because I don't believe in kind of trashing my fellow authors, but there was a book I read where it was so heavily, <laughs> it was supposed to be secondary world. <clears throat> and there's Latin running all the way through it. I'm not just talking, you know, just like 
because there's obviously a huge amount of romantic and Latin words that are infused into English, of course. But I'm talking like quoting Latin and yet having no exclamation of where it's coming from. And it, like I said, it drove me crazy. <laughs> so having just a blatant real world thing, uh, an element, a, you know, a piece of your world that just hasn't been fleshed out just because if you want to feature Latin, <laughs> for example, that, that's going to get me as well. Um, Info dumping has probably got to be the other one. When I've when I've got to wade through maybe two pages of explanation to get to either action or dialogue or yeah. you know um, you know step forward in the plot, it's a, it's a DNF. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of the times, and it's you know some people like that, and I I do like that. I've after reading the appendices of Lord of the Rings multiple times, I've got a huge appetite and quite a tolerance for reading the lore just over and over. But you know you've got to also entertain. Yeah, <laughs> you know, bear the reader in mind. So, yeah, I'd say those are pet peeves. If I'm reading kind of objectively uh, as a fellow author, not just as a reader, those are things yeah. that get me. Um, sometimes just inaccuracies as well. Uh, again, it would never stop me reading a book because I. This is one of the things I put my own failings aside. But you know, someone's mentioned you know a sword being a different type of sword when it's not. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, a horse when it's a cow. Um, you know, stuff along those lines that just kind of niggles the pedant in me but yeah. it's not enough for me to kind of take anything away from that author or that book it's just my own personal preference so that's that is very very pet peeve but yeah <laughs> okay and so what are some of the things that you wish were used more i would say yeah i mean it would probably be hopefully not a cop-out, but I think, yeah, similar to, to my answer to the previous question, where it's, you know, it's kind of uh, a lot more animals that yeah. aren't killed off for the, the, the owl effect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, more representation of, um, you know, uh, genders, I would think, you know, sexual preferences, uh, cultures, disabilities, you know, it's, it's gone is that time where we can just have everyone as white and healthy and yeah. male. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, it just isn't representative of who we are in the world, and it, it shouldn't have been ever. But yeah, so I think you know, dealing with those sorts of things, I I personally like as well when a world kind of has this comment. Uh, it's not for everyone, but I like it when it's um, it draws from the world or shows you another facet of our current world and social and political climate. Without, I mean, I, I don't mind necessarily being rammed in the face or something uh, when it comes to like a point in a book or a theme of a book, but I like it when it's it's very kind of cleverly done. Um, and it's just sort of, you know, saying like, hmm, you recognize the parallels here and the problems here? Oh, look at what we've got around, you know. <laughs> that yeah, just kind of that holding that uh, mirror up to the real world. A little bit. Exactly that. I, I kind of like it. I find it very clever. I find it, when, it, when it's done cleverly as well, I find it very satisfying. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people want to just read, you know, fun fantasy adventure, which is fine. But if you can sneak in something and change someone's mind for the better mm -hmm. without reaching it or being subversive, then why not? <laughs> why not indeed? All right, Ben, it is last call here at the Indie Pub. Can you give an indie published book or two or three or more that you think people should check out? Absolutely. Yeah, got a load of them. Um, so my writing buddy, David Estes, um, who's an incredibly successful bestseller in more categories than I can remember, uh, has just brought out a new book called Kingfall, um, which is kind of a sequel to his really successful Fate Mark series. So I'm really excited about uh, digging into it. Um, and yes, yeah, doing really well for itself, and I just hear amazing things, and David's a great guy. Uh, otherwise, and a fantastic author, I should point out. <laughs> otherwise, um, 
Rob J. Hayes has just brought out Spirits of Vengeance as well, which ah, it's got a really cool cover. <clears throat> it's Asian-inspired fantasy. It just looks so good. And it's in his Mortal Technique series as well. So really excited about going to that. Um, and Nerelska Groans as well uh, by Clayton Snyder and Michael R. Fletcher. They've uh, co-authored it and they run one of my, I just got the chance to interview them a couple of weeks ago. Months ago. Yeah, months or two back. And it just sounds really fun, like Russian gangster noir with a fancy <laughs> feel of magic and, you know, the classic grimdark, funny, hilarious, dark wit. So, yeah, really excited about those three. Nice. Okay, same question, but for any other media, indie or not? Mm. <clears throat> Good question. Um, I've just been, I've been loving all the Marvel series at the moment, particularly Loki. <laughs> um, Loki's just one of those characters that's always featured heavily in my books and is you know, one of my favorites from the MCU. So, yeah, I would say uh, that's one probably one of the best you know, Marvel series that's come out so far. Uh, otherwise, what else have I been enjoying? Ooh, I'll tell you what, gaming is kind of a big part of my, well, <laughs> when I'm not writing and I do get a chance to game. Um, <laughs> I've been kind of replaying, <laughs> yeah, replaying Dying Light. Uh, which is a fantastic uh, zombie free-running game. It's set in okay. Turkey. Just, yeah, you're just trapped in the city, and everyone's kind of like, uh, it's, the city's been locked off, and you've been kind of your special forces soldier who's been dropped in to do some special forces stuff. Um, but then you kind of develop these like just free-running things. But the, this is the, the amazing world-building of it. It's like you might think, yeah, zombie, that's cool, free-running like Assassin's Creed. Yeah, okay, I can see that's the mesh. But the actual, like, the hook of the world is uh, when the uh, the sun goes down in the game, everything changes. The zombies get bigger, faster, the big ones oh. come out, the ones that you are literally, I'm not joking, I've never screamed at a game and thrown my controller across the room like I have for this game, <laughs> just through fear. Like I literally just like run from the room because like they run real fast. They're just, oh, it's scary. It is actually, it's not supposed <laughs> to be a horror game. It's, ah, it's so good. And then it's got a great world building. It's all about factions, these tribes. You've got like, um, I could go on about this for another <laughs> whole hour, <laughs> but it's got a lot of like building aspect and crafting aspect to it. So it kind of has that almost um, like RPG kind of sense to it. Lots of leveling up. It's not just kind of your uh, shoot up game. In fact, guns are really hard to get. But yeah, it's fantastic. It's really cool. And the second one's coming out in December. So those are the two things non book related. Uh, otherwise, I'm reading, yeah, Shadow of Gods by John Gwynn, which is. Amazing. <laughs> uh, full of Norse uh, goodness, which I always like, of course, because that's what I write in. And yeah, that's that's it. Excellent. All right. Tell our listeners what you have going on and where they can find you and your work. All righty. Well, I have just brought out my brand new book, my 15th book, which is the second in the Skeleton Chronicles. It's called Heavy Lies the Crown. I've got it here right with me, but again, <laughs> showing it off to when audio doesn't quite work. Um, but either way, yeah. <laughs> that came out two weeks ago. Um, it's a giant quest story, very heavily inspired by Lord of the Rings, and it's a book I've wanted to write since reading Lord of the Rings. And apparently, according to the reviews, I seem to have pulled it off. Um, so yeah, uh, that's my, my newest release. And then I'm currently working on book three of the Skeleton Chronicles to hopefully have that out first thing next year. That's called To Kill a God. And then otherwise, yeah, just finishing off Demon's Reign, which is the book I'm writing with David Estes at the moment, uh, which is yeah very heavily inspired by kind of, um, well, it's a lot of, it's a huge mishmash of things, but basically, yeah, it's Avatar meets Venom meets um, Demon Cycle. <laughs> That's how I'm going to describe it. Well, that sounds great. And how about your website, socials, that sort of thing? 
Absolutely, yes. You can find me. I'm all over the web. <laughs> um, you can find me at bengali.com, where I've got lots of free stuff, downloads, like that style sheet I mentioned. Um, I'm also on Patreon, forward slash Bengali. Uh, I'm on Twitter and YouTube at forward slash Bengali as well. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok with Bengali also. <laughs> Just head to my site. <clears throat> Excuse me. You'll find all the links there. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Indie Pub. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a like and subscribe so you won't miss any of our indie investigations or boozy banter. I've been your host, Jay Rushing, and we'll see you back in the pub next time.